but I remember when I'm on the phone to my mum and I'm trying to explain to her what the diagnosis was, I couldn't get the words out and obviously a proper football man like myself, I just I kind of broke down and then she broke down and I just, I just kind of hung up the phone and just took a couple of minutes just to, to sit there and kind of absorb what had just been said. I'm Charmaine Griffiths, Chief Executive of the British Heart Foundation and host of this special series of podcasts celebrating 60 years of pioneering research into heart and circulatory disease. As part of the series, I wanted to speak to some of our ambassadors and VIP supporters to learn more about their own personal health journeys and how the BHF's research has played a role in transforming or even saving their lives or those of loved ones. Hello, in today's episode we meet Scott Allen, football player with Hibs, which is part of the Scottish Premiership. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's nice to, to finally meet you and I'm really looking forward to, to speaking about what I've been through in the, in the last year. Fantastic. It was lovely to have you with us and thanks for being such a great supporter of the British Heart Foundation and love to hear a little bit more about your story. So, um, Scott, was it always your childhood ambition to be a footballer? Well, growing up in Glasgow, you're kind of brought up in a football world with the, the Rangers and Celtic thing. So for me, it was from, from five-year-old, I was kicking a ball and I think like every every child in Glasgow, your, your, your hope is one day is to, is to make it as a footballer. Fantastic. And did you ever consider anything else? Was there ever a, an alternative career for you, Scott? No, to be honest, I think uh, the older I got and I realised that I had uh, a talent for it, I always knew in my head, even when teachers told me not to put my eggs in the one basket, <laughs> I always kind of argued my point that, that I was going to be the one that uh, that made it to the professional level. And I think the fact that I was driven like that was one of the main reasons why uh, I made that happen. And how did it start? Were you scouted at school? How did you enter the career side of football? Uh, well, from early age, it was just out playing football with my dad. Uh, we had a, a field across the road from where we lived, and from there, you join the local the local teams. And I must only I only spent really about three years at the, the local teams, but it's the fun side of it. And then it wasn't long till I was I was signed from from Dundee United. Uh, and for me, that was the start of of things getting quite serious. I was diagnosed at the age of three with diabetes. So for me, the kind of, looking back, I think like the, the diabetes definitely helped with my football because of the strict diet, uh, especially at that time where there wasn't as, the same insulins that we have, have now for, for type 1 diabetes. So I, I could only eat at certain times, but it was all good quality food. So I think that kind of went hand in hand with my football and allowed me to be in, in the best condition possible considering I had the, the disease. So that's something you and your family kind of lived with for, for as you said, growing up and through your training and, and it sounds like it has you've taken some positivity from that as well in terms of looking after diet and yourself. Yeah, well, when I, I remember first going to see the, the, the consultants and obviously my mum and dad were explaining how much I, I love football and it, I was always told from a young age that it won't, it won't affect you. I think they just say that anyway, but uh, I've definitely proved that that, that wouldn't stop me. Uh, and I think the quicker you learn to, to live with it and, and use it in terms of, I definitely use it my benefit in terms of the, the, the good diet, for instance. I think definitely it just went hand in hand and there was, there was never any problems there. Fantastic. And I know last year in 2020 was a really big year for you. And actually it was a year in which you were diagnosed with HCM. Tell me a little bit about your diagnosis and how that came about. Well, on the back of last season, uh, obviously it was cut a couple of months uh, short obviously due to coronavirus I had, I had a really good season I'd 
scored the most goals and most assists in, in the season combined that I'd had. So I was really looking forward to coming back and, and kind of adding to, to where I'd left off uh, the season before. But I think two or three weeks into pre-season, I, I definitely didn't feel myself. Extreme fatigue and when I was doing certain runs and in training, I was getting blood vision, feeling dizzy, faint-like symptoms, but I was still kind of getting through it. And it wasn't until I was I realised how much it was impacting my performance on a on a match day. And just in terms of ten minutes into the game, really short of breath, that I, had, I knew some must have been about the fifth game, and I went, this is some, something's not right here. But the common thing for me is that the first thing people ask is it must be a diabetes. It must be a diabetes because hypo symptoms are very similar to the ones that that show with uh, hypertrophic uh, cardiomyopathy. So. I think it was one where me and myself, I think because of the diabetes, I knew my, my own body, I knew it wasn't the same thing. So mm. I went to my doctor to get tested for all sorts of things. Uh, and then I, I played the game against Aberdeen on the, the 30th of August. And I remember coming in, I was physically weak. I was really poor in the game in terms of performance level, which I know that wasn't like me. And it was after that I said to him, listen, I need to... I think I should get a heart. I don't know why I said it. I think I should get my heart tested again too. And they they arranged for me to go to the Hamden Clinic in Scotland, and that's where they do the all the echoes, these type of things. So we've done that. The the cardiologist there wasn't particularly happy with it, so they spoke to the Hibernian doctor, and he said, "Listen, we'll, we'll go to London for this." And Gosh, well, that must have been a big shock for you and your family in a stressful time as well. How do you do? You remember much about the diagnosis itself? Well. As a football player, I think you always think everything will just be okay. So when I heard there wasn't something wrong with it, it wasn't the first time that I had problems with the ECG. And I think they always talk about it as athlete's heart, I think. So I thought I was just going to go down and kind of tick a box and I'd be okay and it'd just be something else maybe. And that's when I, when I got down to when I got down to London. I'd done the, the stress test on the under duress or on the, on the treadmill. And it wasn't until I'd done that, he obviously told me he came off, he seen the drop on the scan. And I could, I could just tell his reaction that there was something he wasn't happy about. And that's when he, he took me upstairs to his office and kind of went through the, the diagnosis with me. And at that stage, because I, I, I wasn't expecting that, I was just me and him in the office. I was, I was obviously there on, uh, on my own. When, when someone tells you that they advise that you should retire, it's, uh, it's one of the moments probably I'd love to forget, but will never forget. Mm. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing it so honestly with us and um, and so courageously too. And I can tell you're a really driven person in yourself. So that was, of course, been um, huge news. So tell us a bit about what you did after uh, after hearing the diagnosis. Who did you speak to? Who did you call for advice or information? What did you do? Well, he gave he gave me says I'll give you ten minutes in in the room yourself. And what's the first thing you do? Phone phone my mum. But I remember when I'm on the phone to my mum when I'm trying to explain to her what the diagnosis was. I couldn't get the words out and obviously a proper football man like myself, I just I kinda of broke down and then she broke down and I just I just kinda of hung up the phone and just took a couple of minutes just to, to sit there and kinda of absorb what had just been said. But it's just it's one of them when you've kinda of gave everything to get yourself in a position for a career, for it to be that type of thing, not in your own terms, which you think it's gonna be. I just think it's it's slightly different than retiring off your own self when you know your body. Mm. Can't can't kind of get give anymore at a, uh, as you get older. But for that, for me, it was it was a, such a strange day, such a strange day. It's, but 
listen, I, in saying that, I think for the first week when I, when I definitely thought that was it, I didn't feel sorry for myself. It, it was just, I know some people might have went the other way. I kind of, I got motivated in terms to do other things. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was just my kind of grieving process, thinking if I do these things, keep myself busy, then after football, I'll be, I'll be fine. So at Hibernian, they had me, obviously I came into training. So that was on the Friday, came back Saturday, went into training on the Monday. Kind of told the boys and like, when you tell your teammates that and you're seeing them getting upset and mm. you know what it's like in the sports world, everybody's quite got their pride. So seeing that your teammates emotional, your manager really emotional, it was, that was, uh, it was definitely strange, but they had, had great support from the club, the physios, family, everybody. And they quickly, like, I was scouting games for the manager and keep myself busy. So the fact that I could get, get myself into doing other things was definitely something that helped me deal with what could have potentially been. I'm really glad you had good support around you. I know a lot of people listening to our podcast have um, been through a diagnosis themselves and know just how important that is to get you through and uh, and to help you kind of absorb the information as well as uh, come up with the plan like you have as well. For those people who might not know what HCM is, um, and Scott, you can correct me if I get this wrong, so it's hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Would you mind explaining what it is? Uh, it's when the left ventricle is obviously blocked at times for getting oxygen through the body and that and that causes the, the symptoms that I had, the, the dizziness. But even in saying that, sometimes people don't get these these type of symptoms. And that can that is obviously in the past where there's been a lot of sudden deaths obviously on the football part, which is the worst fear for for, for any anyone. The only thing for me is that it's been diagnosed as is, is, is mild. So I, I don't know if it's because with diabetes, so to have type 1 diabetes and this and trying to play elite level sport, mm. obviously a lot of uh, hesitance in terms of trying to, to get back into to playing, but my, my agency and uh, my friends, they said, listen, we'll get a second opinion, a third opinion, and that's what I've done from there, and that's obviously allowed me to, to get back to, to playing again. Which obviously must feel great. So did you at any point consider taking the advice to retire or did you always have that determination in you that you're going to find a way through? Yeah, I think as the months went on, obviously still came to training every day just to stay a part of it. And you're seeing obviously everybody out playing, doing what you, you love doing. It's starting to sink in a little bit, but I think I wasn't going to make any complete judgment until I had uh, spoke to the second cardiologist and that was... Dr. Man Bingo, and he was in Leeds at the time. In between me getting that appointment, which was, I think, four months down the line, mm. my good friends played for a team in the MLS called Sport in Kansas, and they're ran by a group of doctors. So when I spoke to him, he says, listen, I'll speak to the club. So they put me in touch with a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy specialist in New Jersey. So I had some FaceTime calls with him during that period, and he says, listen, there's a lot of things that can show up on the test that can make it look worse than, than what it is, especially hydration being a key factor and heat and all these type of things. So funny enough, when, it, when I done the test, my problem wasn't as hydrated as I should have been. And it was at that time, it was, I think it was like 26, 27 degrees in London. It was a heat wave. Uh, right. So when I went to see Dr. Mambingu in Leeds, I made sure I was probably overhydrated the second time. So I made sure that wasn't uh, going to be a factor and it was... Uh, the height of the winter so the heat definitely wasn't going to be a factor 
and when I'd done the same test, like the repeat test again with him, and the test came up that that was a that was good enough to allow me to keep playing. Obviously, that was that was a, a real positive. And from there, we had to we had to arrange for the two the professor and the doctor to then put their two tests together and see what we could come out with. And that's what we then uh, went from from there. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing that. And you've mentioned, obviously, there are a number of sports people and lots of footballers who've, of course, been touched by heart and circulatory disease, like so many others. Have you connected with anyone else who's um, suffered their own heart condition? Yeah, well, I spoke to my agent and his friend had a, a good relationship with Graham Souness, so I spoke to him over the phone. That was not long after I had the first diagnosis, so he was more saying, listen, you could go to certain tell me places to go and see and could maybe do make a difference for you. So it's obviously good to hear from from these type of people, especially someone who's from Scotland and a massive figure in our country. Mm. I got in contact with the, the player Daley Blint, who played with Man, Man United through another boy in football who I played with, who also suffers from from what I have, except he has the defibrillator under his, his skin. I think he has a wee bit worse condition than what mine is, but he's back playing for, for Ajax and playing international football. So... The first thing you do in, in these situations, especially myself, is you look to see who's still playing with these type of right. diagnosis. So it was it was the exact same thing I'd done with, with diabetes when I was younger, except it was the guys that I was getting told about hadn't played for 20 years. So I was, it was hard <laughs> to find someone in current football who was doing it. And, and that was probably why I went down the road with the diet to try and help other young players who were coming through. It because I think that's one of the things that you, you look for to see who else is playing elite sport with the same condition. So that was definitely a help. Wonderful to hear. We're really proud that Graham's an ambassador for the BHF and I know an inspiration to so many people. So brilliant to hear that you guys have had such a conversation too. I just want to touch for a moment on um, the family nature of heart disease. So we know that many conditions, including HCM, can be inherited. And just wondered if uh, um, you have reflected on that in your family. Had your family been touched by heart disease before? My, My granddad, my dad's dad, he suffered a heart attack. In his, in his 50s, but I, I don't know how much that was related to one of these things. I think that was more in terms of diet and smoking back back in the day, the way people used to smoke. It was uh, it's a bit different to now. In terms of my, my close family, they've all now, after news I've got, they're all doing the examinations. I think my mum and dad, they're getting their feedback this Friday, so I'll probably hear more this weekend and how they are. But it's just... In terms of my family, there's quite like my mum suffers from multiple sclerosis as well. So there's things that's just not been uh, not been ideal in terms of some of the things we've had to, to deal with as a family. But I think mm. there's there's definitely a resilience there and it's definitely things you can overcome and I think we've proved that. Absolutely. And that spirit comes through really strongly in how you talk about your journey and your family as well. So thank you for sharing that. So how are you doing at the moment? Do you have regular checkups? Just tell us a little bit about what life's like for you uh, at the moment. On daily life in terms of training, hydration obviously been a massive factor. I have a Osmo test that takes to, to see how, how hydrated I am. So I've got a close eye on that. I have a continuous blood monitor on my arm for my diabetes, which is I think my diabetes has got better and knowing how to manage the heart condition, it both came together at the same time and it's led to me to feel physically the best I've felt in terms of my whole career, which is incredible considering I had 10 years of doing this and after you find out about this, I now feel physically better than I've ever felt, which is it's a bit bizarre, but that's just, I think when you, when you nail it and put the two together, then you can kind of make the most of it. I've 
not missed a training session since the day that I was allowed to get back training. Completed 90-minute games. And I, I just feel like moving forward, there's, a, uh, there's more to come for me in terms of my performance and my football career. When six months ago, I was looking at being a TV pundit. <laughs> so... <laughs> uh, it's just it's just strange how how things turn out, but I think I think my mindset was was everything in this situation. I know people touch on mental health and all these things, but I think it was a huge thing in terms of keep myself busy and continued support from the people around about you and at the football club that allowed me to get back and be physically the best I felt. So just then reflecting on the year that's been, clearly the pandemic and COVID have been a real worry for people with heart and circulatory disease um, just because of the uh, increased risk of serious illness from it. Has it affected you any, in any way in your family? Have you, have you been particularly mindful of COVID? Yeah, I've definitely been, been mindful of it. As I touched on there, my mum, um, an MS sufferer, and obviously myself with the, the things that I deal with. But in terms of anyone having COVID, we've, we've not had COVID in my close family. I think here at football, it's been so strict that you've had the most protection as you could possibly get. As a club, we've only had one player who's had COVID the whole year. But I was definitely, I obviously didn't see my, my mum for a while because I was coming into work before most people were allowed to, to come back. In terms of just as a year living, I'll live myself. I have my son uh, a few nights a week. When I speak about my son, like when I first stopped playing, and my son, why are you not playing? Why are you not playing? And then he must have heard some things because he, he was only five he was asked he was asking me oh dad's that you're not playing football anymore and it's that was some of the most emotional times throughout the whole journey i would say when he, your son said oh, do you not you don't play football anymore it's i know it's such a simple thing to say but when you hear it kind of hits home and it's not as if even at the start of season that he was able to come watch me play and it was something that i enjoyed the previous season so just the fact to get back playing and he can come watch me again and he knows that i think when he's older and I, I kind of relate the story to him. It'll be something that definitely have motivation for him to show and how important resilience and, and mental strength and all these type of things are moving forward. Well, I'm sure he's very proud of you and I can sense how proud you are of him and how important playing football is to you both, actually. So that must have been a, such a year for him as well, not just in terms of asking about football, but worried about you and um, and hearing so much. How is he doing? Yeah, well, he's, uh, you know what it's like at that age, he's... He's got the football bug as well. Uh, Sunday mornings, I go and watch him play, and I think, yeah, uh, I think he's definitely got that work ethic. Anyway, to try and be a football player, and he's his whole game then now is to be better than than me. So that's the competition we have. So I'm, mm. I'm really looking forward to see how he develops, and definitely things I can I can definitely pass on things to him that will be uh, valuable for the future. So talking about role models, and clearly you're one of those for your son, but how important is you to be a role model for other young players? Like I, like I touched on it, I think the fact that when young players or even young children can see that there is someone playing elite level sport who suffers from the same thing, it's I know that myself purely from the, di- the diabetes thing, that it, it, gives you, it gives you that extra boost knowing that this is possible. So I think sharing your journey and and being there to answer questions to anybody. I think Instagram's a great tool. The amount of messages I receive from people suffering from hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and diabetes, like on the daily, it's from all over the world. It's it's touching, but it's also it's a it's a nice feeling being able to give something back and explaining that uh, it won't stop you. And is there anything you would say to someone who's just had that diagnosis, who's you know feeling the weight of that on the shoulders in the way you've described you did for a while? What would you say to someone today? 
I think just sharing how how you actually feel with the people closest to you. I think carrying something that around yourself without speaking to it can do a lot worse than than, than good. Uh, I think that is the bit friends and family and and being able to speak these things. Listen, some I'm maybe a different one because I've managed to get back playing. There people less fortunate than me who it can be more serious. They still continue to get the symptoms and need to stop. But like I can only imagine how how that must feel. But I think you got to quickly shift your focus and and try and put put that disappointment and, and motivation into something else. Uh, so as I said, I'm I'm one of the ones who I've managed to get back playing. But there's definitely a lot a lot of people less uh, fortunate than I've been. Thank you. And I guess reflecting back on your journey and your experience, what has your diagnosis taught you about yourself? Not not to take things for granted. I think uh, playing football every day for a living, sometimes you can slip into comfort mode sometimes and just uh, you can just just ease by. I'm just going to training for a few hours and, and not making the most of things. I think sometimes it's as simple as you just don't know what you've got till it's gone type of thing. And since then, I've just, I've milked everything out every single day's training just because I now know that, that you just you just don't know what's around the corner. I think the fact that I had like even the, I had uh, career ending insurance and all that in place for, for years, which was good advice from my from my agent. So if I had to retire I would have been protected to, to to an extent. I think that is also a big thing for young footballers and even young athletes like to to, to take time to look at these type of things because you just you genuinely don't know what can be around the corner. Wise words indeed. And I just want to say thank you, Scott, for being so honest and sharing your story so freely with us. Is there anything else you'd like to share or anything else that you feel we've not touched on that feels important for you to say? I think you can't just take one person's word for something straight away. I know that's a test there, but there is always ways. I, I think what I'd done was I'd I, I done the right thing. I went, I seen a second person and spoke to a third person in America and brought the three of them together. And it's cardiologists aren't always the easiest people to <laughs> to, to ask to do, to do that. So for the three of them to do that, and, and for them it must have been an interesting take to see one test so poor, one test really good. And then if it wasn't for them coming around the table together and putting a plan in place for me, then I wouldn't have been allowed back on, on, the, on the training part. So I think the fact that we managed to get three cardiologists all working uh, singing from the same hymn sheet was a big factor as well. So I think the fact, like, yeah, that was a disappointment, but second second opinion, third opinion, you've got to be definitely sure before you make the final decision, especially for me, which was my career was, was so important to me. Lovely. Well, that inspiration and drive to succeed clearly shining through that, as well as all, all that you've done in your career. So thank you. The British Heart Foundation is celebrating 60 years of saving lives through pioneering research. For decades, the BHF has led research into HCM. In the 1960s and 70s, the BHF funded researchers to improve our understanding of the condition. In the 1980s, two professors funded by the BHF were among the first to find faulty genes underlying the condition and used these findings to set up the UK's first genetics testing service for HCM. In 2016, in partnership with the Frost family, the BHF established the Mars Frost Fund, which raised £1.5 million to help make genetic testing available to more families affected by HCM across all four nations of the UK. 
As we celebrate our 60th birthday, our eyes remain firmly fixed on the future and what we hope to achieve over the next 60 years. We want a cure for heart failure, better treatments for stroke, ways to prevent vascular dementia and so much more. The BHF have been part of breakthroughs like heart transplants and pacemakers, stents and clot busting drugs, and our goals for the decades ahead are even more ambitious. If you would like to fundraise in honour of the BHF 60th and be part of helping us continue to save lives, then please visit bhf.org.uk forward slash birthday. For more inspiring stories from our high profile supporters and our patient community, please listen to and follow the ticker tapes on the BHF website or wherever you get your podcasts. And to everyone listening, thank you for joining us. I'm Charmaine Griffiths. Bye for now. The stories, recollections and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of our special guest and not those of the BHF. If you, our listeners, have any health concerns, please seek advice from your GP or health professional. For more information about any of the conditions discussed in this podcast, please visit BHF's website, bhf.org.uk.